Two friends from small town in West Virginia have one thing in common. A love of hip-hop. So it's only right that they get together to wax poetic about what they love. This is Hip Hop Manifesto, the podcast. So, um, that was Nas's second album it was written. This album we're getting into is Jay-Z's very first album. This is Reasonable Doubt. Released on June 25th, 1996, which would be before, it came out before Nas came out. Nas came out in July. And um, it was released on Rockefeller Records, which is Jay-Z, Dame Dash's, and um, and Kareem Biggs' label. Which, it's important to note, Kareem, a lot of people don't know this about Jay-Z that know who Jay-Z is. Jay-Z couldn't get signed by anybody. Right. Jay-Z, you know, putting his <clears throat> demo out everywhere, trying to do what he needs to do. And he just got slept on. So Jay-Z, you know, uh, I don't know how he had his relationship with, with Dame and stuff, but they said, you know what? We're going to do it independent. Yeah. They started their own label. They got they got priority to do distribution for him. And, I mean, Jay had been working with, with Jazzo, um, who had his, had a deal a few years earlier. Big Daddy Kane used to put him on his shows and stuff because, like, everybody knew they heard Jay spit, even though he was doing the fast flow. Yeah, they knew different Jay Z at that time. They knew Jay could spit. They des- they all thought Jay deserved a chance to get hurt. And even when Jay started getting around this era, like when he was doing, I can't get with that. He was still doing the speedy flow, and he couldn't get a deal, like you said. So I think Jay got to a point where he was like, "I'm a dumb it down on my terms," which kind of is dumbing down considering how fast he was going. And I'm gonna go ahead and make this album independently, and we'll see what happens with it. So. <clears throat> We get into the joint, and all right, I'm gonna apologize now. I'm probably gonna gush about every single one of these tracks, and it's not really fair to Nas because I'm I'm more of a Jay Z fan than I'm a Nas fan. But if there's anybody who could possibly tell you anything you need to know about these tracks or any little details, I'm I'm your guy. <laughs> so we're gonna get into track one, which is technically before they re-released it in 1998. Um, track number one was called "Can't Knock the Hustle." Um, on the re-release, track one was an intro, which had Pain in the Ass on it. Pain in the Ass actually did the intro on the beginning of Can't Knock the Hustle, so it's all one track. And, um, or is that right? Now that I think about it. Yeah, it's right. So, Can't Knock the Hustle, produced by Nobody, the, <laughs> the Hound, Darren, and Sean Kane for the Hitman. And that, the Hitman was, um, Bad Boys in-house production crew and, uh, 90s for most of the 90s so early p diddy well not so much diddy yeah not yet diddy not yet. came in next album and it features mary j blige so um go ahead and tell them about this track son can't knock the hustle man it just as soon as you hear the instrumental come in for can't knock the hustle it just sets the tone for the whole album because what what really lacked with continuity for it was written was totally there with reasonable doubt. There's just this this sound where it's it's kind of a little bit jazzy, but it's a, it's kind of mellow. It really is a jazzy album. And you know, it's a little bit mellow. We got, but it still hits hard. Like, oh, yeah, it was beautiful. Like the it just it all came together for this album, and just that you hear that beat start for "Can't Knock the Hustle," and you're like your head, you're you're instantly bobbing your head to it, and you're like, okay, you know this this works on so many different levels. Yeah. Um, I didn't hear this album until 2000 when um, DJ Wise burned me a copy and gave it to me. Um, I was absolutely floored by this track because I heard this in 2000 and Jay was on working on his fourth album at this point. Cause, no, fifth album. Because this one, volume one, volume two, volume three. Yeah, fifth album at this point. And so I'd heard a lot of commercial Jay-Z and I didn't even like Jay-Z yet. But... When I heard this song and I heard Mary J. Blige singing the hook, and this is Mary J. Blige I was talking about. This is this is kind of like her transition voice, where she's starting to get refine her vocals, so she ain't got to fucking strain her voice every single time she wants to sing. And it's just a a song about how he's out here hustling, he's on the streets, he's doing his thing. He's but at the same time he's 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 balling. I mean he he's um he. <laughs> 
It's a con- it's so funny just to say it out loud, honestly. But um, the song's about him hustling and him doing what he has to do to get money. And he's going to continue to do that to get money. And no matter what, you can't knock his hustle because it's working for him. I got more at stake than filling. Shopping sprees, copping three. Deuce fever, I yes, it's fully loaded. <laughs> yes, bouncing in the Lex Luger. Tire smoke like Buddha. 50 G's to the crap. And you know, and this speaks a lot to the story of Jay Z. I mean, the man is really put in his work and paid his dues trying to come up. Yeah. And when he starts his own label, you can't knock that. I mean, literally, you can't do it because the man put in work and every bit of fame that Jay Z has now. I'll be attributed to the the foundation he laid prior to this and with an album like this. Yeah, I agree. Um, but I, yeah, the, like I said earlier with the beat, every time I hear the song or even think of the song, the first like five to ten seconds of the instrumental just always comes to my mind. It's like it's one of those good feelings of hip hop that that it gives me. And even even better is um. Even when you see Jay do this live now, like on like he did on the Fade to Black DVD, or like if you're just watching YouTube and you catch a live performance of it, like when he spits it, even because he normally spits the edited version, even when he spits it, you kind of you kind of get a sense of that old Jay Z still being inside of the Jay Z now. Definitely, definitely. And it's like you've seen this live, right? Yeah, I, I, yeah, definitely. And it, it's like I would even say. That this, if out of first songs on the album, this this is one of the better ones. Oh, this, this is definitely one. Because I, I heard a lot of whack songs to start <laughs> out the album, but this is definitely. When I queued this up on my win amp, I actually, I put this song several times in a row. <laughs> <And then> I, <laughs> I do actually with the next track. We'll get to that in a second. But there's a couple songs I make sure I duplicate because I know I'm going to hit replay anyway. Yeah. I don't blame you at all. So maybe we should move on to the next song. Track number two. Is another one of those songs I do. Politics as usual, and I love it. And I, I'm I can't gush about this album as much as Be Hyphen can. I'm holding back, but because <laughs> I I don't want to say I will talk for days. I mean, we're gonna talk about this later on. But honestly, there's no no doubt that this is a much better album than it was written. But and you, you this is the magnum opus or however we said that we would pronounce that yeah. after our last this is the finest work of jay-z that you will get hands down yeah this is like the closest he's come to being this good would be blueprint and black album and as uh, far as the complete album politics as usual actually i got a memory with this song our uh our boy uh dj wise <laughs> i say boys he's really kind of boy <laughs> the generation above us that really put us on to so much stuff and put us on to jay-z more or less yeah he kind of got screwed over by a job, and it kind of took him away from the area we were living in, and uh, so really we wouldn't, wouldn't be able to work with him all the time. Because this, we got introduced to DJ Wise. He was substitute, yeah, substitute teacher for us, and uh, he wasn't really that much older than us like that. But you know, he's a DJ on the side. He was, you know, did some classes, and once we we formed that bond to hip hop, like we just we just clicked with this dude. And so we were hanging out. We were skipping class to go hang out with DJ Wise. We were battling on stage after all the classes. Like, he's the one putting us on to everything. And when he left, you know, he, he was sad. And when he left, he said he just put politics as usual on because politics is what dicked him out of his job. Yep. And I cannot think of the song without thinking about that. And anytime I, I have a situation like that where it's like, you know, some something screwing me over, or it's just like the you know I'm like hear the news and something pisses me off. Usually, I just throw the song on and it just does it every time for me. Yeah, this this song would probably be if if I had uh, a a playlist to play when um I was angry or if I was drunk, angry, angry drunk. Like now you get drunk <laughs> when you're upset about something. Like I'm gonna have a couple beers, whatever. I'm gonna have a bad day. 
like you definitely want to listen to politics as usual like he captured like the whole gamut of feelings that you go through and all and the hook is so simple like he has yeah. the sample in it and like um I don't I, I don't even know what the sample really says like I, I think it says something about it's me it's me it's me it's me I don't know that's just what it sounds like but all he says on the hook politics is user wow that's it and you're like and you're like fuck yeah Jay-Z <laughs> I'm saying this way. That's what's saying this way. This way again. Yeah. It's the stylistics. Stylistics. But yeah, and it's also, politics as usual. Wow. <laughs> I did not. I mean, I should have recognized it before, but this song also samples Benny and the Jets. Yeah, no idea. The Elton John. They're actually the samples in this album are unbelievable. Oh yeah, it's a good thing it was an independent album because he would have to pay out the ass to clear Definitely. some of these samples. I don't think Elton John would have really released it like that at the time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I mean, th- this song. It's just one of, like, you go from Can't Knock the Hustle where he's celebrating about him being able to maintain and gain a little bit of status from what he's doing to a song about where people are trying to, where shit's getting stressful in certain areas, but all he's doing is keeping it moving. He's like, whatever, politics as usual. I mean, in that... Next track. <laughs> it, it flows on each other so well. Yeah. Because it, it always happens like that. You think you're getting somewhere, you're getting respect. Somebody got spit on you, and then all of a sudden you're like, you know what? That's just the way life is. I'm gonna keep moving. Yeah. And these two songs together just really, really set the tone. They so really did. For the third one, actually, a lot of people think of this song. It's not actually one of my favorites, but it's still, it's one of the few songs. Is the, the very first song, however, that Jay Z did with uh, Notorious B.I.G. Yep. It's called Brooklyn's Finest, produced by Clark Kent, and. This song has an interesting story behind it because according um, to um, what I think Clark Kenneth said or other people has witnessed, witnessed what was going on, Biggie and Jay knew each other. Jay started really getting the music. They started really hanging out um, and stuff when they got a chance to. And Jay asked Biggie to do the song. And then like Biggie kept saying, I'll be through, I'll be through. And then finally Biggie came through to do the song. And they already had the beat and everything. And... I've heard, um, from what I've heard, they were like almost kind of staring each other down. They both had paper and it's like, they're both waiting for the other to write something down because they had never recorded together. And back then, of course, word doesn't really spread like that, that, oh, Biggie don't write. Oh, Jay don't write. So they didn't know. So they're sitting there waiting for somebody to write something. And eventually they figure out that neither one of them write. And so they're actually going in the booth, like, right behind each other, spitting live, spitting off the top, doing this song. And then they just, they finish the song, there's no hook, and they walk out, and they say, we'll be back, never come back, finish it. And so Clark Kent ended up having to do the hook. <laughs> but you know, knowing that song will make you appreciate the song 10,000 times over when you listen to it. Yeah. Because you will not believe that if you didn't know. You listen to it, you think they wrote that, it's just a, a common, you know, featured appearance on the album. I mean, nice. they're basically battling on the damn track. Yeah, and it's it's an awesome song. Not one of my favorites. I don't know why. Like, it definitely belongs on this album, but the sound that I was describing from Can't Knock the Hustle that flows into politics as usual is almost interrupted by Brooklyn's, by Brooklyn's Finest. Because Brooklyn's yeah. Finest, as it should, comes really hard in comparison really to loud. those two. Definitely. I mean, the whole mellow kind of vibe you were getting from the album is definitely going... But what it does is the next song coming up, Dead Presidents. Two. It two. I'll get to that. <laughs> goes back to the sound that it was. So it really Brooklyn's Finest feels out of place, but when you feel the whole album overall, it, it definitely belongs there. Yeah. But moving on to track number four. Track number four, Dead <laughs> Presidents Two, produced by Ski. Um Ski's second song on the album. This song actually um actually has an interesting story because this song um, was a subject in a beef Jay-Z and Nas actually had and from early 2001 until about 2003, or 2005, really, because that's when they did it. And it kind of bubbled, though, for a long oh, time. Oh, yeah, it definitely bubbled. But Jay-Z, or actually Ski, sampled um, Nas's voice from... Um, the World Is Yours. From The World Is Yours, yep, the um, tip remix, tip mix. And um, he used it in the song. Now... Which really isn't a big deal, but the story is Jay always wanted to get Nas on the album because, like I said, Nas has been out. 
And Jay wants to rock with the hottest dudes that are out at the time. Yeah, and Nas, the time. Nas is definitely one of his equivalents or even peers at that time. Right, kind of at the time, Jay-Z is actually looking up the Nas. Yeah, looking up the Nas, yeah. Because this was his first album, and despite all the work that he put out, Nas is the one right now with the title. Yeah, definitely. And so he's actually, he was trying to get Nas on a song, and he was supposed to get on this song. It never happened. So before we even get into actually what the song is about, one other tidbit, there's two versions of this song there's dead presidents one which is actually is the version that's used in the video um and the video like it didn't get a whole lot of burn but it's out there and that version is pretty nasty is is nasty in itself the fact that he did one version and then came back and did dead presidents two which is that version that's on the album and did a whole nother lyrical massacre he he beat the shit out of his beat twice. <laughs> yeah. He's he's like I can't even think of somebody who beats somebody's ass twice like a boxer metaphor. <laughs> but um he he whooped his tracks ass twice and it, like the hook's the same of course. And both of them easy classics by themselves easy. the way it is. Easy. But the song is Dead President it's Dead President's the metaphor for um money. And of course the movie Dead Presidents was out in what, ninety five, so yeah. it was a common term in hip hop. Um, hood vernacular <laughs> <laughs> and uh it's just basically about jay having money and jay jay doing this and jay like it's a real braggadocio song and and this is also this is also how jay's fitting into the jiggy era where before it was like we're broken hoodies and we're gonna beat the shit out of you with our lyrics <laughs> <laughs> now it's kind of like i'm flossing but i'm still fucking as nice as the next man with my roms and, and to me, this is almost the beginning of Money Jay, but this is the predecessor to it because it's. But this it's is a brag, good Money Jay. He was still hard. Like, he was, oh my God, he was hard. Pause. <laughs> I Definitely, mean, it was one of my favorites on the al- album, even just by the sample alone. Like yeah. the sample was just nasty on Dead Presidents. That beat is ah, oh, that beat is amazing, amazing. I, I can't say enough about Dead Presidents, but track number five. Feeling it. Feeling it. Another Ski production. Ski had a lot of tracks on this album. Ski did his He thing. probably had the most tracks on the album next to Clark Kent. Feeling it. Uh, who did the singing on Feeling It? What was that? Mecca? <laughs> That's what it says in this little feature box. Uh, the, the singing, you know, Feeling It opens up with... Uh, has, jet, has the little piano. Yeah. <laughs> well... And forever, rock a block, rock a fella. I'm feeling it, feel the bash, she's really moving. I'm feeling it, feel the legs pushing up on the sand. I'm feeling it, feel the heart that you get from the line. If you feel it, I keep it real in the most. I know you're feeling it. Crystals are nice, I like the toes, I keep on spilling it. Bone crushes, I keep real close, I got the skill for this. On my back, the fly is closed, looking ill as shit. Transactions illegitimate, cause life is still a bitch. And then you die, but for now, life, close your eyes and fill his dick. Since diapers had nothing to live for, like the life was, boy. It kind of keeps up with that jazzy feel. That's, yeah, we get back into that jazzy feel. But the, the singing on it, like Jay Z could not be on this song, and you would still listen to it just because you're like, "All right, this is hot." Like this is something you would cruise to or something like this, that. Like this would definitely be on my happy drunk playlist or my <laughs> I'm high playlist because this song is just so chill. And then Jay is so fucking he's doing like double entendres and shit. And then the whole the last verse, the last verse is ridiculous. Especially because he gets to the bar where he's like, okay, I'm getting weeded now. And he's like, he first he's talking about he didn't smoke weed. And he's talking about he got high and he's all on his own and he starts banging this chick. And then he's like, you know what? I'm go- I need to leave that weed alone. <laughs> so he's like, he's analyzing himself as he's having a good time. And I felt that way so many times that that just speaks to me, right? Volumes to me. With this just song. Hearing that every time I hear that last verse. There are a few songs. I've, I've actually told you this once about one of your own songs with okay. Vibe. Okay. There's. It's one of those songs that you could not really even pay attention to what he's actually saying, but the the flow of the words is almost hypnotic. Yeah. And when you listen to it, you're going to bob your head, and even if you're zoning out and you're doing something else and you're not paying attention to it, you're still going to be like, damn, I like the song. I don't know why I like the song. But <laughs> It's definitely one of those songs Yeah, it's good. where it's, you can lose track of the verses and everything and it'll be over and you're like, yeah. oh, damn. 
it's I don't like I just this album just holds such a special place in my heart. That's why I feel bad for it was written right now. <laughs> Track number six was called The Evils or Devils. Devils, if you look at but it, but it's called The Evils because the song's really called The Evils, The The Evils. But Jay spelled it out Devils and then put a apostrophe before the D. Um, this is a primo track. The first premiere track on here. Um, one of the first um, Jay Primo tracks because Primo worked with everybody. It was well, nice. Kinda, cause uh, Primo did Graveyard for Big L. For Big L, yeah. And Jay was on it, but this is the first track that, I, from what I know of, that Premier did with just Jay Z. And on a side note, um, most of this album was recorded in D and D Studios. Classic. Where um DJ Premier and Gangstar made so many classic hits. Hip hop needs to buy it and then turn it into a hip hop museum. Well, DJ Premier owns it. I know the headquarters is actually what it's called now. Now, yeah, I call it D and D. So many classic albums made in that place. Um, this song it, it's kind it's definitely another one of those double meaning songs. It's pretty gruesome if you think about it. Yeah. He's doing he kidnaps his boy's girlfriend, um, and he keeps and she said. That um the taste of dollars was shitty, so I fit her fifties. <laughs> Cause cheese is money. Yeah, you'd have you'll have to listen to it. There's like, a lot of different metaphors in the song, and a lot of them I still don't pick out. Yeah, there's a, he's coming from all over the place. You don't realize it, which is when you actually realize when you listen to this song, and this song actually more so than a lot of the other ones, is when you realize how much Jay Z actually dumbs down his lyrics. Yeah. Because if he can spit something like this where you're paying attention and you're like, man, I didn't catch that. Wow, I'm still catching stuff. You know, 15 years later, still catching he stuff. He says stuff, he has said stuff on Blueprint 2 that I, I remember, I'll hear now and be like, what? And that's Blueprint 2. Nobody really fucks with Blueprint 2. <laughs> and you know, for the longest time, like when Jay-Z came out, I wasn't actually a big Jay-Z fan because Me I actually either. came into him pretty late and I was like, it's another money rapper, you know, something like that. Yeah. And so I saw that part of it without realizing the process that made jay-z as in the product jay-z not jay-z as in you know former big huge successful jay-z yeah and i didn't realize what he did for success i used to say that jay-z sold his soul to be as successful as what he is but you have a tremendous amount of respect when you see the balance that he's able to accomplish with some of the songs and the evils yeah. is a great example of that and something we haven't mentioned, The Evils actually has a uh, Snoop Dogg sample from Murder Was the Case, where it's like, Dear God, I wonder, can you save me? And it's like, I can't die, I can't die. And, and it also just, has a, a Prodigy sample from Ashacha, Illuminati yeah. from my mind, so and my body. But it, it's just, it, it gave it a dark, dark feel. But the did. weird thing is, it's a Primo track. And Primo is, DJ Premier is known for his, his jazzy sound. Mm -hmm. And even though this is one of the, the hardest, more gruesome songs on it the drums maybe from even Premier, in jay's catalog yeah the the drums from premiere really tied again with the rest of the music and that that jazzy still mellow yet gruesome feel to it yeah yeah it's it's um th this is probably one of jay's best songs easily so moving on to track number seven is almost a different realm yeah this is more like this well according to what i've been told all these years Jay-Z has never written a single lyric down. Not to say that I don't believe it, but... Um, <laughs> you start to question a little bit with this song, I think. Yeah. Um, this song is called 22 Twos. It's more of a... It sounds more like a freestyle than it does an actual put-together song. But that's all theatrics, because... Yeah. Uh, was it Freestyle Fridays? Like It opens up like Jay-Z is making an appearance somewhere... And there's a host, and they yeah. they run into Jay Z and, and this ask is like, him to perform. I know Freestyle Fridays actually took place and stuff because I've heard that they actually did this stuff. And according to people that was there, Jay went up and spit this without reading it or everything. So Jay probably wrote this and just had it memorized. But this song is called Twenty Two Twos for a reason because he says the word two twenty two times. Right. Sounds whack. It does sound whack, but it's, it's not. It's produced by Ski again, and. The track is, um, it uh, samples Cannot Kick It by Trial Call Quest, um, which I'm sure made Matt very happy when he first heard that. A lot of people actually have sampled this song. Yeah. And it just, it's perfect for a live show. I mean, you're getting up there, can I kick it? And then the crowd's responding, yes, yes you, can. you can. It's empowering. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. But, um, 
I mean, it's just it's just kind of fan. Like this has to be one of the songs I say Jay Z didn't write because the for if he really did come up with this off the dome. Can I kick it? Yes, you can. Check this out. Too much West Coast dick licking and too many niggas on a mission. Doing your best JC rendition. Too many rough motherfuckers. I got my suspicion that you're just fishing a pool of sharks, nigga. Listen, too many bitches wanna be ladies. So if you a hoe, I'ma call you a hoe. Too many bitches are shady. Too many ladies get these niggas too many chances. Too many brothers wanna be lovers. Don't and he's a wow. brilliant man, and we are underestimating Jay Z. Because, like, cause it's just the way he's like flipping the twos together. It's like two, 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 two. And, like, and he's counting I've actually, them all at the same time. I went through and counted just to make sure <laughs> that there was 22 twos. And there definitely is. But, I mean, he absolutely murders this concept. And nobody's really... I mean, there's been other concepts similar to this. And Jay's even went so far to do 44 fours now. He did yeah. like a, a free... He did a song around the time Kingdom Come came out. And it sounds like it would be repetitive. But I'm telling you, if you never listen to the song, definitely go look it up because... I mean, this is, it was a great song. Like, 22 yeah. twos. You think, wow, there's like, he must have looked up, uh, broke out the dictionary and said, let's look at all different like, <laughs> ways I can say yeah. two. Yeah, and then even 44 fours, which is like fucking, what, 12 years later when he did that? Um, that was longer, whatever. Whenever it was, Jay, 10 years later. Um, that's even still phenomenal because he, I mean, he's flipping. 44. I mean, you would think I would get repetitive. He still pulls it off. And this is old man, Jay. Everybody says it's too old to rap. So. And this is kind of similar, I think, to the, the fast rhyming, Jay, too. Like, you can yeah. definitely feel that a lot more with 22 twos. You definitely can. But 22 twos, even though if you... The, the CD officially says it's 3 minutes and 29 seconds. It is totally not that. That is all the theatrics yeah, of the song. Yeah, that's all the uh, it's almost like with a, the song. You would think it was an interlude if you just get to it and you try to skip through it. But really... The song is not that long at all. Not at all. Who's smoking reefer? That's why black people can't <laughs> you, have you, nothing. You. Track number eight. This one This one is definitely special to me. Produced by Irv Gotti. Song is called Can I Live. This was probably the first Jay-Z song I actually said. This is probably my favorite Jay-Z song. No, this is the song that made me a fan of Jay-Z, probably. For real. Because Hard Knock Life was out. It was cool. And... Uh, I think I'd heard Volume 3 at this point. I like Volume 3. It was okay. But this song is two verses. And all he says on the hook is, Can I Live? But the way this song is executed blows my mind because this is what real MCN is all about. Because he, uh, like, he probably, uh, he should be locked up with Charles Manson for what he did to this song. <laughs> Can I live? My mind is infested with sick thoughts that circle like Alexis. It's driven wrong, it's sure to hurt you. Do level like duplexes. And unity, my crew and me commit atrocities like we got immunity. You guessed it, manifested intangible goods. Platinum Rolex, we don't lease, we buy the whole car as you should. My confederation, detonation, explode on detonation. Overload the mind of the said patient. When it boils the steam, it comes to it. We all fiends gotta do it. Even righteous minds go through this. Seriously, it's that nasty. So I keep one eye open like CBS. <laughs> you see me stressed, right? I mean, like, I mean, you hear stuff like that, and you're like, if you heard Wayne say that now, you probably like. Yeah, uh, I don't think it had the same impact if Wayne no. said it, and it, it's a dope ass line. Yeah. But it's just the way that Jay said it more so because he's like, he's like, yeah. so I keep one eye open like CBS. You see me stressed, right? It's like, <laughs> like you know what, you cocky motherfucker, shut up. Because <laughs> it's one of those things where it's like, you know, where somebody says something kind of gets you, and it's like, and like, and they know they got you, yeah. And it's kind of like, man, shut the fuck, you know, shut the fuck up. <laughs> and you know they got you, you really can't say shit. That's exactly how I feel at the end of that verse, or in the, in the first <laughs> verse. He's like, and we can have a pleasant time sipping margaritas. Ch -ch -ch yeah. I mean, it sounds like he's on fucking coke. <laughs> he's well, so happy. Jay-Z is a master of how he says what he's saying. Anybody can say some of the stuff that he says. Yeah. But the way he says it, like his voice, and you can almost, I don't want to call it diction, but it's more like emphasis, is really goes a long way with the stuff that he's saying. So like, 
What you doing? You checking your phone? We're talking about Jay Z. You're checking your phone of all times. This is the time you should not be checking Dude. your phone. Chill. Anyway, Jay Z with "Cannot Live," you just you get blown away by just how he's saying this stuff. Yeah, just floored. Like I can sit here. That's one of the few Jay Z songs I can recite word to word. Like I know a lot of Jay Z songs, but but just to, like that's probably the song I want to recite nine times out of ten, just because of the way he's flipping everything. And an interesting note about this song, which it's easy to listen to this and think. Irv Gotti won't have anything to do with this song. Irv Gotti, this would actually be the predecessor of everything that would make the Murder, Inc. And everything that would come with uh, Murder, Graham and the whole story that would come yeah. behind that. And this is this guy, early Jay-Z. This guy, Gotti's foot in the door to what he actually did with with um, beginnings of the original Murder, Inc., which is Jay, um, Jai, and DMX, to becoming the label Murder, Inc., to blowing up so big and then having 50 cent cut his legs off so but um it's unbelievable yeah. that from one simple song like this which is just a banger yeah. that the careers of several other peoples would trickle down just from how effective jay-z was over this beat i mean ja rule would probably not have a career if not for this song it's very true he would he probably would have just been stuck in his independent deal and then would have been whatever so um I I love this song. I need to put it out on my last FM that I love this song. <laughs> but track number nine, Ain't No Nigga. We talked about Foxy Brown earlier, and th- this is... This is good Foxy. Yeah, this is the better half of Foxy Brown during the time frame. I thought the top half was the better half. Ooh. Ooh. Produced by Big Jazz, a.k.a. Jazzo, a.k.a. I'm mad at Jay-Z, so I make YouTube videos now about how he don't come to Marcy. <sighs> song um samples seven minutes of funk by the whole darn whole darn family and ain't no woman like the one i got because of the the hook um kind of references it according to and you kind of feel that in the beat it's kind of got that a more funk sound oh, to yeah. it than the rest of the it definitely does um but it works according to uh what i read in that um behind reasonable doubt article i read in Dell xl a couple years ago i think two other people tried to loop this sample and only Jazz is able to finally get it to loop right. And so that's why I end up with production credit. Even though I think either Ski or Clark Kent said they got it like the night before um, Jazz got it to Jay. Hmm. And, but I, I'm, I'm sure, obviously, it's a hard thing to sample. I mean, it's it's a real short sample, honestly. But I think it's just something like, I think it doesn't have four bars in the sample is what it is. Yeah. is what it, It's just weird. Or it don't have eight bars. I think it's like seven and then it goes back or something. Personally, but, this was my least favorite song on the album. I used to feel that same way. But now I've come to actually like it for what it is. Reason being, I think the reason you think this is your, this is your least favorite song, because this sounds like the Jay-Z you didn't like at first. Exactly. And I think this song kind of opened up that Jay-Z. This is the song that Jay-Z and Dame and Biggs went into um, Def Jam with. And went in Leor's office, and this is the CD that they gave him, and then this is the same CD they dumped a whole bag of money on his table for and said, we want you to put this on any professor soundtrack. <laughs> and, or want you to distribute this or something. And Leor listened to it, and Leor's like, um, why don't I just do this for you instead of taking that bag of money? <laughs> and that's how the whole Rockefeller Def Jam thing happened. But, um, yeah, th- this song, it definitely epitomizes... This, is, this, is, this song was more... Like I know, is it's more in the Jiggy era, but this song reminds me more of the a Junior Mafia type feel. Cause Junior Definitely. Mafia didn't like when Biggie was on the song anyway. Right. Like they weren't they weren't straight Jiggy because their stuff came out ninety five, early ninety four. They had they still had that little nineties feel, but of course they had the little they had the little melody to it and a little dance that, groove with like it. Like kind of playful gangster. Yeah. Exactly. Like, get money, but it was like, get, get money. money. <laughs> it's not like, get money, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> or you can be as good as the rest of them, but yeah. as bad as the worst. And so it's like, get money. Don't test me. <laughs> get money. You better move over. Fucking Biggie. This is, this is the thing that disappoints me, is knowing what we do about this song, and that, you know, this is what they went to Def Jam, and this opened up a lot of the doors with the relationship with Def Jam and Rockefeller, is... It really speaks for the time that all of these other great songs on the album, all these ones that, I mean, I'm no, I'm nobody special, of course, but 
someone like myself would look through and make this the worst song on the album, and it's the song that gets the money flowing. Yep, exactly. And that shows you, I mean, Jay-Z is also an incredible businessman, and if he had to do this song in order to make it work, my respect to him. And it's not a terrible song. No, but not it's, at all. It's what some people, including myself, would say is one of the the least ones, but it really speaks for the times that knowing the backgrounds of that song. Um, another th- the thing about this song is it's definitely a party song. The hook is, um, like I said, it's Jack from the Four Tops. Um, and Jay does it. Jay is good on this song. He really dumbs it down here. This one, he really starts dumbing it down, and you can tell he was aiming with this song. When I say aiming, he's trying to go for radio. The the real star of the song is Foxy, obviously. Yeah. And according to Foxy, Jay wrote the verse. He um lo- like um he locked her in the studio, whatever. Not really locked her, but pushed her. Kidnapped Foxy Brown. She's like 15 years old. He picked her up in his car, brought her to the studio, bought a pizza, and said, "I want you to memorize this verse." And then like a couple hours later, she memorized it. She went in, laid it down, and the rest is history, pretty much. And that is what I think really built Foxy's career. Foxy is once again better with Jay than she is with anybody else. And it's kind of more a rally. Yeah. She doesn't really hang with somebody like Nas when it comes to uh the flow. No. She's gotta go with something a little bit slower, a little bit more dumbed down, no offense, but just really the way her style is. Yeah. And you're not gonna see Nas, you know, trying to make any sex appeal with his rhymes. <laughs> and when he does, it, it's it's from a whole different angle than you say like a Jay Z song. Yeah it is. For like the ladies. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> Track number ten it's called Friend or Foe. It's produced by DJ Premier, and it's also the shortest track on the album. This, once again, sounds like a freestyle. Yeah. And I believe this is really something he just went in and laid down because it's so short. Basically, this describes Jay-Z coming out of his house one day and finds out that some other hustlers are moving crack on his block. And he's not too happy about that. So he, he just calmly goes up to the guy and breaks it down to what's going to happen to him if he doesn't take his crack and go somewhere else and he just does it in the most entertaining way possible <laughs> pretty much never ever, 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 ever come around here no more <laughs> this <laughs> i know this came out like so long before but it reminds me of threats yeah it does sound like a prelude to threats if you know threats from uh black album black album you'll definitely see the comparison but it's definitely like a freestyle but it's a whole different tone of voice it's cocky jay yeah Definitely, but it fits like it. It's short. It's to the point, and it fits. I think if Jay had tried to make this longer, it probably wouldn't have worked. No, but if you look at this, almost like if you were the, it, it's like a an intro or sorry, not an intro, but an interlude, more or less, because of the, yeah. the way it fits in there. And then also, you could see it as a, a, a once again an interlude, as a transition from because you just had. I mean, if you look at the past couple tracks, like from. After the Diables, I mean, he's kind of been partying, partying. And then you get the friend or foe, he kind of lines you back up to get to the grommy side of things. Hey, remember me? I'm a drug dealer. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) And then we get to track number 11, Coming of Age, um, produced by Clark Kent, featuring a young Malik Cox, better known as Making Easy Money, Pimping Hoes and Style Bleak. I know you got a lot to say about the song, so I'm gonna let you gush because when this song came out, or at least I remember when you first heard this song, it opened up the whole man crush that you had on Memphis Bleak. <laughs> yeah, this song definitely made me the Memphis Bleak fan I am today. I know Memphis Bleak gets a bad rep of oh he's living off Jay, he he's not that nice. Well, this he's, is the finest. He's only around. Because he knows Jay, and a lot of that is true. I'm not going front. Jay will even acknowledge it. But he has many times. <laughs> the thing with Bleak with me, I've always dug his voice and his sound, and that's basically been it. And then I heard this verse, and then I heard what he did on Volume 2, handed down. That's a whole different subject. Well, let's tell him about what the song... Let's give him a synopsis of... Uh... The, the story that's going on with the song. Cause, coming of Age? Yeah, because Coming of Age is, is what it, it says. It's, uh, you know, Jay-Z is more, a more established artist, but it's more like uh, from the mindset, I guess, of a, a hustler. Yeah. Uh, and then he sees this young cat that's up and coming, uh, you know, Memphis Bleak. And uh, from there, he's like, you know, they, they meet each other. And they, they, they <laughs> even kind of describe like the tension between like maybe a generation that's up on you or like 
the the uh, or the new the, the new dude trying to move up in the drug game or whatever. Yeah, and just the the paying the respect, but they seem to click each other. And he know, even he even offered Bleak a G, um, the basically join him or yeah. get down with him, or whatever. Bleak tells him no. He's like nah. G- I'll ride with you for free. free. He tells him, no, just off the strength of meeting you and like just just because I realized what you were doing, I feel like I want to be a part of that. You don't have to pay me to be a part of that. I want the long term. The song is such it's definitely a, a sensei mentor kind of thing. Like if Batman was yeah. ever talking to Robin <laughs> and and a Robin rap... would never be that fresh. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. Definitely not. But it's kind of just kind of like that where it's like it's like mentor sensei, and it's it's just kind of like you see you see how the me, the sensei or mentor sensei or um student teacher you see how the student is learning and coming along and coming of age, and it, it just it just works really well. And that beat beat is just amazing. On well, that. The, what I find most interesting about Bleak up. is when you hear at home, my ground. Jay is rhyming like what you got to lock it down, and then we rush slow. <laughs> You hear Jay rhyming slower, right? Because yeah. this is what you think of Jay now. When you hear Mint Bleak, and you know, Jay's always talking about Mint Bleak like, I see myself in Mint Bleak. Mint Bleak is doing that that burst flow, like mm-hmm. when he's rhyming. Yeah. And you're like, this kind of is like a little Jay. Nigga, never stop fronting. <laughs> <laughs> but if hip hop was a drug movie, this would be on the soundtrack. Yeah. This is it. Like, this is one of the, the finer songs about that really... And this is definitely would go on Memphis Bleak's greatest hits, which considers about 15 songs. Yeah, he doesn't even have enough for the CD yet. But <laughs> In my opinion, he does, but whatever. What up, Bleak? <laughs> no disrespect to Bleak. Track... Or go ahead, it's I'm good. sorry. It's good. Track number 12, Cashmere Thoughts, produced by Clark Kent. This song, I feel, gets an unfair tag on it because a lot of people don't really like the song and the reason being i think some people don't really like the beat and i yeah. think some people don't like the way jay flowed on it it's definitely one of the song it probably if if i had to pick a song that i would skip on the album it probably would be cashmere thoughts the only one if any for me is definitely this i was on that school of thought for a long time about this song the thing is with this song is this is definitely a hip-hop head song because jay's talking about pimping but he's not talking about pimping, which is like the popular way to do it, like the eight ball MJG way or the two short way back then. Yeah. So he's not he's not talking about bitches and hoes. I'm slap like he that's not him. He's doing like it's probably the he say it's that just, again. Bitches and hoes. <laughs> it's just the, the way that he's spitting on here. He, he's 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 actually in character in a way. Like he's actually because he's trying to have like a little pimp draw and stuff and and. It's just the way that he does his lyrics and then the way that he, he's talking to, I guess, another pimp during the chorus or whatever, that it all works for me where it's just a story about him being a pimp and the way he ends it is just classic. And then you move on to the next track. Game tight, so why should it change the night? Go tell your peeps, dog, I'm leaping to the name right. I'm pimp hard on the trick. Look, fuck if your leg broke, bitch. Hop up on your good foot. Your good foot, good foot. <laughs> Well, one more thing about Cashmere Fuck thoughts. if your leg broke, bitch. Chop up on your good foot. <laughs> How you going to? <laughs> That's some cold ass shit, yo. I, I think with this track, I'm kind of glad it never really got respected. Because. <laughs> no, no, no. It just me sounded out. funny. I mean, when we say it, it really sounds like it's going to be a bad track. It yeah. sounds like a black exploitation film by itself. Like, yeah. It does. Super mean pimp with a humor. <laughs> but if this song. Playing right after Nas is coming. <laughs> if this. If this would have really caught fire, we would have seen a whole different Jay Z. And it's true. Thank God it didn't. You can you can definitely if you look at Jay Z's career, you can say easy that would have happened. If this would have made the money, and if Jay Z might have been lived a little further south of New York, it may have happened. Yeah, it definitely couldn't. But also because it didn't blow up, it helped Jay refine. The songs where he was going to get a little misogynistic with it, you know? Is misogynistic a word? Yep. Okay. Um, like, because this song is, this song's pretty fucking raw. Like, fuck bitches, get money, hop up on your good foot. This is the predecessor to leave bitches pitching toes, something be crawling. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, th- this definitely helped Jay develop better as a, as a shit talker when it came to women. So moving on, track number 13, 
another DJ premiere. The last DJ premiere song on the album. Bring It On, featuring um, Big Jazz, a.k.a. Jazz. Bring It On if you think you can hang. And Sauce Money, who um was like Jay-Z's road dog before Bleak became his road dog. And everybody thought was going to be the next artist on, off of Rockefeller. It never happened, but that's a different story. Um, can I talk about the sample? Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. All right, the sample is actually Fat Joe. Uh, and it's from the One Two Pass It by the D&D All-Stars. We talked about D&D earlier, which is the studio of uh, DJ Premier. And actually, One Two Pass It actually has a lot of different artists on it. It has Mad Lion, uh, Dougie Fresh, Karis yeah. One, Fat Joe. And it was really just, all people just killed it with the early premiere up in the studio. And the samples just bring it on if you think you can hang. If not, then let me do my thing. And Yeah! <laughs> Fat Joe is Fat Joe. I mean, love him or hate him, he is what he is. But <laughs> he tries, damn it, he tries. He, he does. He's got work ethic. You he know? does, and and thank God that he met Pun because Pun helped him get a, get a little he bit did. better. But he did have some mean ass beats in the early nineties. And boy. he's the Woo. one thing about Fat Joe that ties him into the song so well is you listen to some of those things that Fat Joe says, and it's like I might not want to listen to this whole song. But goddamn, I want to sample this one liner he had because it was hot. Yeah, and it fits really, really well with the uh, the cockiness, braggadocio of Jay Z at the time, mm-hmm. and it it worked really, really well with this. And Premier Premier will pick that up with an artist. Premier knows what he needs to do, and he did his thing with this job. It was a perfect Jay Z beat. And if if you heard, if that song were to come out now with that beat. It'd just be like another Millie or another Get Money or whatever. Like everybody's gonna be rhyming over that song. Yeah, and it, exactly. It might not ever caught on like that, but it was a damn hot beat, and it is just like tailor made for Jay Z, and you can feel it. The thing about this song for me, this is probably one of the few times Jay got outshined on the track. Yeah, I think Jazz and Sauce both. Both be Jay on this track. Not that Jay's verse wasn't tight. Jay's verse was dope, but between Sauce Money's delivery, considering this is the first time we're hearing him, and then what Jazz was saying with and with his his delivery and his voice, I mean Jay just didn't seem like he was supposed to be there. Like Jay just seemed like, oh yo, 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 homeboy didn't make it. You need to get on this track. <laughs> you need to say his part. Are you what kills me in this song? What? I forgot all the talk about Rockefeller. <laughs> <laughs> I even murdered it just trying to say it there. Yeah. But every time I hear it, like, I don't know what he just said, but I feel like, oh, he said that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It just has that tone to it. And that's, I didn't feel Sauce, that on Jay-Z's. Sauce Money murdered it. It was Sauce, Jazz, and NJ. So, that's really all I got to say about that. It's it's kind of a track you have to experience. The last joint on the album, though, because we're not, we're not doing a special edition. Yeah, we didn't do you it. Really, with you really didn't need to look it. at that. No. You know what the last album is. I want to look at the production. Okay, and, I'm uh, sorry. <laughs> Peter Panic. Wow. See, I never um, knew he did that. Uh, yeah, the um, we're not doing special edition that had Can I Live 2 on it, which is not very good. Or remix of Can't Knock the Hustle. But never heard that. Regrets. Track number 14 or 15 if you have the original CD. Because I was wrong earlier. The intro was number one and Can't Knock the Hustle was two. I'm sorry. <laughs> um... I love Regrets. It's one of my favorite songs on the album. Produced by Peter Panic. Samples It's So Easy Loving You by Earl Klug and Hubert Laws. Um, This song definitely is one of the reasons why I wish Jay had put out his autobiography a couple years ago. And it's one of those songs where if I ever had the time to pick Jay-Z's brain and get him to answer anything I asked him, I would want to know two songs where I would want to know what he was talking about. Regrets and You Must Love Me. Because they're both like, what in the fuck did you do to make you spit that? Because unless, I mean, it's possible that he was really just doing some shit where he had seen some things and then he just took it to a whole nother level just because of the beat being so jazzy and mellow and stuff. And he's like, all right, I got this story. I got this idea. I'm going to go from here. But um, the song is basically, it's called Regret. So obviously it's about things he's regretted. He's talking about, in one verse, he's talking about how He's about to get, like, his crew is about to get caught. They're, like, he's they're, like walking into a setup, basically. And another verse, he's talking about um, his friend. A drug deal going bad. Yeah, drug deal going bad and how one of his boys and him are feuding. And then somebody, one, another one of his boys is dead and they wouldn't be happy about it. And that last verse 
it is probably the eeriest verse I've ever heard mm. Jay spit because you have no idea what he's talking about and you want to know. I mean, you get the idea. I'm not saying it's, that, it's not over your head like cannabis, but it's just like... I find myself reminiscing, remember this one. When he was here, he was crazy nice with his son. I miss him. Long as I'm living, he's living through memories. He's there to kill all my suicidal tendencies in heaven looking over me. Or in hell, keeping it cozy. I'm coming. Life on these streets ain't what it's supposed to be. Remember Newton, mutual friend with me and him feuding. On your life, I try to talk to him. But you know niggas think they guns could stop four niggas fronting like they big willy but really old niggas, whole niggas. This year I show niggas think I'm slipping I'm about to send you a roommate No bullshit But my hustle's going too well to hit him You was right niggas want you to be He said I think I'm talking to your spirit A little too much So basically you can see Jay talk, Thinking he's talking to his friend But he's really talking to himself And it, the song is just Yeah and see you don't know You don't know if he's yeah. talking to himself or he's talking to, like, he's at a, a grave talking to, like, one of his dead homies or something. Or if he's talking and to somebody else in a room. is r- so much slower than the rest of the songs. And it's got the same feel, but it's it's dark. It's a little, not dark as in, like, gruesome. It's not, but da- it, it's not the evil's. Um, it's dark like a, a personal evil. Like a, yeah, like yeah. A troubled worry inside. And with regrets, I think it's the most mature song like not mature as in hip-hop is immature but mature like as a person like as grown folk music with this song because you know he could say i could be cocky i can i could talk about pimping i could talk about being a drug dealer but at the end of the day uh as he says on the hook you gotta learn to live with regrets and it's about living with those regrets and putting the stuff behind you but how you can't always how it's always like a part of you that's deep that's some yeah. deep shit right there it's ridiculous. I mean, it's just like you like you get through the whole album and you you've already got the feeling the album's a classic. You know it's a classic if you've heard of it before. Or you're listening to the first time you feel like it's a classic hip hop album. You should. If you don't, then I'm I'm sorry you don't experience like I do. But it's okay because we just put you on to it and it's all good. We'll turn that around. But then you, you get <laughs> you get to regrets and it's just it's just so somber and just so it just, it just sounds like some. It, it sounds like cold ass, rainy, windy day. You're by yourself. You have no phone. Nobody wants to talk to you. That's the kind of feeling I get from regrets every time. That's I, that's why I can't sit there and bump regrets over and over. Like I can, of course, because it's so. You don't dope. want to. <laughs> no, it's just it's just kind of <laughs> like, ugh, it gives you chill. It's just goosebumps and chills. But you know, whenever you got that feeling. This is the song to throw on. I mean, it's a perfect song to end an album. Any album. It doesn't matter what the album is. <laughs> you could end Britney Spears' new album with this song and you would be happy. And you're going to feel an emotional connection to Britney Spears like you did not imagine. Exactly. But realistically, I mean, like what you described, the feeling I get, like I put this song on. And sometimes I'll put on the whole album when I get in this mood just because I know it ends with this. Yeah. Is if I fuck up, I'll make some stupid ass mistake something else is going on in my life is out of my control everything is just backing me into a corner and i just i didn't think ahead i did everything wrong i throw on this album because it just goes it runs the whole gamut of emotions about everything you thought that was right everything that felt good everything that was easy and everything that was hard earned and then you just it all comes up to well life goes on and this is what i got to learn from it Yep. But you know it's not ever that bright. It's always deeper, darker, and more personal than that. And this song just wraps it up. This song is a song that I would like to say I put this one on repeat. But you can't. it's such a finale that you play it once and once is enough to just blow you away. And then you don't play another album after this one for a little while. This yeah. is the last song you listen to for the day. Yeah, it's that, it's that real. And... Between this and um, in my lifetimes, you must love me. Um, definitely, like I said, the the weirdest, strangest tracks you ever heard Jay Z say. Not weird in a, like you don't get it weird. I mean, it's just like you want to know more. Like you must love me. I mean, he's talking about shooting his brother and get apparently dealing drugs to his mom and all kinds of stuff. Like now, that seems like a little bit more fabricated for Jay. I don't even know if he has a brother. I think he has a sister. 
Um, so on "You Must Love Me," you kind of get the feeling like, oh, well, it's whatever. It's a, still a good song, but "Regrets" is it definitely sounds like something that he will. N- I don't even think he would tell Beyonce what the fuck "Regrets" is about. She might not want to know. She might not want to open up that can. Yeah, for real. But with that being said, because I really don't think there's any more we can contribute to saying about that album. Yeah. That would do it justice anymore. Um, when you look at this album and you compare it to Nas, you know, hands down, it's going to win. I mean, you can tell by our excitement how we feel about it. Yeah. A million people will tell you the same thing. The only people that wouldn't were the people that never really liked Jay-Z or just really liked Nas like that. It, It's a classic album. It is definitely one of those albums that's going to be around and it doesn't age. Like you no. could say 15 years from now that people might not fully appreciate Illmatic because the flow, like the flow is so good. It might be over their heads then and they might not ever understand it. But I think with an album like this, uh, you're you're going to look at Reasonable Doubt and you're still going to see it for what it is and it's still going to be a classic. And I think people will still relate to it more because when you look at it was written just like Illmatic, it's a sign of its times. Like it's a, the perfect representation of what was going on then. Yeah. And it's great as like a time capsule, like with drug dealing and everything that's going on like that. But when you Gambino look at Gambino era yeah, and all that stuff. But this album, <clears throat> all things aside, is just life, and that's just the way it is. Yeah, exactly. Like I, I couldn't sum it up better. Um, it, it was written, like I said, sounded more like a group construction, like more like Columbia here, Nas there, Trackmasters there. It sounded pieced together, and it was written is what we got. Reasonable doubt sounded sounded like Jay from the start, Jay to the finish, and then he had all these people seeing his same vision through his through his eyes. And they executed it perfectly. And that's the difference between the two albums, even though they came out around the same time. Nas was trying to move towards the crossover yeah. and trying to fit into what hip-hop was going. And It was his second to, album. And, and, you know, you got to keep that in mind, too. It's, yeah. It's not really... This isn't a comparison, really, of Jay-Z and Nas. It's just the albums. Yeah, it's just the albums. Um, He was just he was trying to go somewhere with somewhere else's music because he already had all the hip-hop heads off Illmatic. He wanted to go further. He had his classic behind him, and now it's towards long-term career. Jay was Jay was making and did make his classic. And if you listen to Jay's next album, you'll probably get the same feel that we, that you might feel about, that we kind of feel about it was written, how at times we're loving it, and at other times we're not, because there's a lot of stuff on volume one where Jay is spitting, but we don't like the hook. We don't like the beat. Yeah. And stuff, and it's it's just because of Def Jam getting behind him, them needing a single, um, him doing a lot more work with but with um Puffy and Bad Boy, and it not being so much Jay Z's vision, it's more other people's visions coming together, and that's exactly what happened with it was written, and that's what happened to Jay, and then eventually Jay got his shit back together. He's he got the volume two, and he's like, fuck this, I'm gonna take more control, and we saw what happened to Jay, and then you saw with Nas where. Nas kind of was torn between his, like, torn between his two personas, his his um, gangster persona, Nas Escobar, and then the nasty Nas uh, um, persona that everybody fell in love with him, Maddox. So you saw Nas go through a few albums where he's fighting between the two people. It's an identity crisis. He was, him. and then you just saw Jay just grab a hold of the reins after that one album was like, all right, we're going to do it this way, and if it don't work mm-hmm. this way, then I'm going to really retire from rapping. Yeah. Thankfully, it didn't happen. To show you how personal this was for Jay, I mean, tell him the story about the end of Rockefeller and what happened. <laughs> yeah, with, I guess. I mean, that's important to I tell because it all ta- ties tie into in. this. Eventually, I'm, I'm probably going to sit down here and explain everything I know about Rockefeller in a podcast um, about its rise and downfall. But uh, what happened is um, Jay Z decided to retire in 2003 after he released Black Album. Technically, 2004 after he did his last few videos, he's gonna retire from Rockefeller. Um, and he's chilling. He's still part of Rockefeller. He just won't rap anymore. Jay, um, Dame and um, Biggs, which is his other two partners in Rockefeller, um, they, they, I mean, they were all not really getting along. Like Biggs and Dame were, but there was a rift between Jay and Dame. We still don't know exactly what was what. 
Some people say it was Jay being with Beyonce and him changing as a person and just moving away from Dame and stuff and doing his and becoming his own businessman really. Because before it was always the three headed the three headed monster and then he's trying to just be Jay. Um, it got to a point where um, Jay just wanted to walk away. Jay, yeah, Jay wanted to walk away, and I think um, I think they were trying to buy Rockefeller or something. Like they wanted to buy it outright from Def Jam. Yeah. Or no, I think I think it was a matter of Def Jam had offered Rockefeller to Jay and the presidency of Def Jam, um, and they said, "If you do this, we'll give you all your masters you've done with us, which will be Volume One through through the Black Album. We'll give you all those masters, and you can be president, and you'll own the Rockefeller name." Jay went to Damon Biggs and said to them, "This is what Def Jam is willing to give me to do this, in order for me to not do that." And let y'all keep the label and continue to do what you're moving towards or whatever. And Rockefeller continue being Rockefeller. All I want from you is the masters to reasonable doubt, which the three of them owned. All he wanted them to do was give him the masters to one album. And they would have gotten the other seven or eight that were released through Def Jam. The ones that made money, the ones that were getting sampled, the ones that were would be more beneficial. They told Jay no. So the masters, if you don't know, are basically the master disc that your music gets pressed on and is where all duplicate copies, like all of their further prints and pressings of the album all come from that one copy. And Reasonable Doubt isn't exactly something that's going to get a lot of represses because it'll never really sell like that because it was an independent album. They can't afford... Well, they probably did eventually to go and like clear these samples. Yeah. But when you look at it, Jay-Z could have screwed over Damon Biggs. He could have just said, I'm going to have everything. I'm going to have my money. I'm going to have Rockefeller. And he could have sat on top. He had respect for his own people to go to him and say, look, I know that Def Jam really owns this label right now. And we could just let them do that. But you helped me get this far. But money aside and everything I've done to get here, I'll give all of that up. And allow you guys to keep doing, or at least try to keep, at least try to do what you can. Just give me where I came from. My first album, my baby. That shows you how much this means to Jay Z. And when you realize that, you realize everything that you thought about Jay Z was about money, or about him selling out, as some people will say. That it's not like that for a man that has this much respect. For his first album. Yeah, for real. And it's kind of sad that out of all things that we know out of what happened with the whole rock um, breakup with Rockefeller, it's sad that this is the one thing that came out as a deciding factor. Because you would think it'd be, it it seems like such a minor detail. Like, like even me and you were fighting and one of us blew up and it's like, hey, I just want my first album. You can take what we've done so far and we'll part ways or whatever. I, I would hope that I had enough respect for you at that point. Be like, you know what? Cool. We're not boys now. Whatever. Go ahead and take take your first album. I understand. Best wishes. I'll do this. Now. It ties up all the loose ends. And right. It just it just feels like it's just I don't. There's probably other details involved that didn't get to come out. It just it just feels like such a cheap thing for Rockefeller to end over. It's just the masters over a first album, especially one that's barely platinum, and is. All it, I mean, it's a hip hop classic and easily, but but when do you hear people calling into the radio station and say I want to hear feeling it? Yeah, feeling it. No, they're gonna be like, I want to hear Hard Knock Life. You know, it's gonna be something pimping. like that. Yeah, royalties aren't coming from this album, and and that, that might be one of the reasons why Dame and Jay may never be able to repair what they did have because it's such a, it's just such a low blow. It is really, it's just kind of vicious. Be like, no, fuck that. So there you have it. That's both of those albums. When it comes to, we say verses, but you know it's not really like that. But when it really compares, we hope you get both of them a listen. And hopefully you keep some of that stuff in mind. And maybe the album might mean more to you when you listen to it. And uh, if anybody else listened to it, has anything else that they want to share about it, hit us up, let us know about it. Yeah, you can post it up on the blog or you can email us at h.hmanifesto at gmail.com. 
I'm in a really weird space right now talking about all that because regrets is just so <laughs> yeah. regrets hits me so hard thinking about it me. and talking about talk it. Talk about things. That's why I wanted to. And then do it's that like <laughs> getting that Rockefeller stuff. It's, it's um, I'm I'm real I'm I'm just in a special place right now. Um, well, yeah, but you, we definitely want to hear your opinions. If you listen to either one of these albums, um, let us know if your thoughts and definitely want we want to hear feedback from our regular listens listeners. And if there. you want to find out more, because. I mean, we truncated this down, and there's a lot of stuff that you know, we don't even know too. But there's a lot of write-ups, especially on these two albums. I know Double yeah. XL did a, a write-up on Reasonable Doubt. Did they do one on? They it did. Was written? They haven't done it. It was written. They just did a Illmatic. Okay. Yeah. So and there's a documentary. I think there's like a little video, short video about it. There's um yeah there's actually uh if you go on YouTube you should be able to find it. There's like a VH1 documentary. On behind and making a reasonable doubt, it says a lot of the stuff that was in a double XL article. If you um, if you did read that, but it's still cool to watch because you do get Jay sitting down talking about it and jazz and everybody was really involved in the album. Um, so and but I think even like just listening to them. Yeah. So you should definitely check that out. Um, but I think this wraps it up. Uh, we're going we're gonna keep doing episodes. We we're just joking in the beginning, just because of how late we are in between episodes. We haven't done an episode since December. Um, but we're going to continue doing the classic album series. And like I said, we got, we got plans. We're still going to plan on doing that history of hip hop episode. And then we have the hip hop confessions idea that we saw skills do. So we're going to try that out. And if anybody has any ideas, once again, let us know. Or even if you want, just talk it with us. I mean, we, we are hip hop nerds. We will talk hip hop with anybody. Yeah. And if, if I, my computer can handle it, I would definitely even be willing to, have people going through Skype or even have people in, come in here if they're local enough. So so hit us up. Let us know what's going on. Check out the uh, the Victory Jump Off Radio. Uh, that's a, <laughs> got two episodes in the can. I just got to do jump. I got to do stop sets. It's coming out more frequently actually than these podcasts have been. But it's, yeah. it's kind of the radio show of Hip Hop Manifesto. Yep. The and radio show. Check out the blog as always. That's it's kind of taking a little bit of a backseat. Check out one of our recent posts. We answer or I answer a few of the questions. Uh, Be hype will probably be doing the same thing shortly. And yeah. uh, hit us on Twitter. That's the easy way of having a short conversation. <laughs> but, and you can find those links earlier in the episode. <laughs> so I guess I don't know what else to say. Um. Yeah. Those albums kind of speak for themselves. So yeah, really, I, I need to go cheer up. <laughs> but uh, anyway, until next time, be good to yourself and each other. Uh, love, peace, and happiness, and we out of here. Word. Hip hop, hip hop. You've been listening to Hip Hop Manifesto, the podcast, brought to you by Matthew Spencer and Kellen Conley. Special thanks goes out to Thomas DJ and Derek Ferguson of Better in the Dark and John S. Drew of The Chronic Rift. If you want to get in touch with us, you can always email us at h.hmanifesto at gmail.com. That's if you got any music or please want to comment on the show or anything, just hit us up there. Also, check out our music blog, Hip Hop Manifesto, the blog, at hiphopmanifesto.org. All of our episodes are archived at hiphopmanifesto.podomatic.com. So you can check those out. And, yeah, that pretty much sums it up. Uh, we probably made Reasonable Doubt sound a lot more appealing than it was written. But honestly, check out both albums. Give them both a fair try because Nas is one of the greatest lyricists alive in my opinion. And so every single one of his albums should at least be listened to once. So don't take our word for it like LeVar Burton would say. And um, yeah, until next time, uh, it's a hip-hop world and y'all just living in it. Hyphen out. Chill. Yeah. I'm out for president's to